Hello and welcome to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect. I'm Rina Deepthi Annabelle, aka Mommy Imperfect, and this is a podcast where each and every week I explore womanhood and I speak to fabulous females who are all rewriting the rules and thriving and who are inspiring other women to do the same. My guest today is someone who mentors women and teenagers, the Rooted Observer, aka Farhana Hussein helps people to start thriving instead of just surviving. She herself has been through a divorce and is a mom of three children and uses her own experiences to help others. So welcome to the sisterhood of Mommy and Perfect, Farhana. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Oh, it's lovely to have you. And, uh, you know, I've been looking at your um, social media account for a while and, you know, had a look at your website and that kind of thing. And I, and I want to talk to you about your experience of divorce and how you managed to thrive after it and the journey that you went on to get there but first just give me a little bit of background around you like what kind of upbringing did you have like were your family liberal conservative were you given a certain amount of freedom tell me so a little bit about myself I am British Bangladeshi um born and brought up here from a conservative yet progressive Bangladeshi background so um, growing up, two sisters and a brother, us sisters um, were brought up in quite a conservative way, went to an all-girls school, weren't allowed to talk to boys, etc. And um, the, the script was pretty much from day one, is that you are a nice Bengali girl, you're not English, you're not Western, and one day you will go to university, you will become a professional, and you will marry a nice Muslim Bengali guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty much what I absolutely believed was my path, regardless of how I felt about it. Um, and yeah, and then growing up, I guess things didn't quite go to plan. And um, I, I didn't marry somebody who was um, Bengali or Muslim. And that was massive in my family, mm. huge. Um, I think I was one of the first in my family, although we'd had um, mixed heritage marriages, it was the men in my family who had done that. Um, and I was the first of the women and the first of my generation as well. So it was a big, big deal. You know, I was the, the eldest. Yeah. Um, and it caused a huge rift between me and my parents right. massively. Um, and so, yeah, so that's a little bit of the, the background of me growing up, you know, come from a very traditional family. My family were not ready to accept somebody from a different culture and definitely not from a different religion either. Um, was it? Yeah, I've had to break a lot of boundaries. That is, yeah. Um, I mean, I relate to that in some ways you know I, I kind of thought my path was the same like professional uni get married to somebody who your parents introduce you to and all this and it was like okay fine you know again broke boundaries with marrying who I wanted to marry not part of my culture and stuff um did they come to the wedding did they accept it with did they, did they was it a case of you know he needs to uh convert yeah I actually told my grandma first because I was so worried about my parents disowning me because that was a story growing up. Mm. If you marry um out of religion or culture, you will be disowned. We will not come to the wedding, you know, and I completely believe that, so I told my grandma um and she's head of the family, and she actually was the first to accept it open openly, except that yes, he did have to convert. that was the only um stipulation. My parents did begrudgingly accept the the marriage 
but I think it was more, if I'm honest, to save face then, you know. Um, and so, yeah, we had our own wedding in, you know, in the way that we wanted it, an intimate wedding. And then they had an intimate reception of 400 people. <laughs> <laughs> A very South Asian intimate reception, yeah, yes. To, to, yeah, to do their bit. And, you know, to be honest, Rena, the, the first few years of my marriage were really challenging for many reasons, but it didn't help that my my parents were um, still really against it. And I, as a South Asian daughter, because of the stories that I held, the deep conditioning that I had, mm-hmm. just felt really torn between trying to please my parents, you know, and trying to desperately get their approval, consciously or not, I was, um, despite them, you know, being against it, and also trying to please my husband as well and keep him happy. So it was just, I just felt torn between the two of them, trying to keep everybody happy, trying to get everyone's approval, constantly feeling guilty. Um, so, you know, all of these factors put a lot of pressure, you know, on on me, on my relationship, yeah. on my marriage, etc. cetera. It, it is a lot of pressure. And it's also a lot for, I think, you know, looking at people like my own husband and brother-in-law who've come in from other communities into like a strong South Asian family with all our uh, intricacies and things. It's quite a lot to cope with if you're not used to that, right? Yeah, hugely. And the thing is that because our culture is so strong, you know, um, I just felt like my husband had to comply to everything that was you know, that my parents wanted. And I just desperately wanted him to be the good husband and to just blend into it all because I felt so much guilt and shame around what I'd put my parents through, you know, and that, you know, I was putting myself first, you know, especially South Asian women, we are so deeply conditioned to be people pleasers, to be the good girl, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah. And and the dream is that if you're, um, a kid gets married to somebody who's not South Asian or not in the religion that then th- that person will completely like assimilate and oh you can't even tell that they're they're not Asian you can't even tell look at yes. them look at them they just they've learned yeah. our language and everything and yeah. that and then it's okay only then it's like you, you know they're not English it's, they, they might you know it's not like they're black they're Indian really absolutely yeah and I had that you know my husband was white British and he learned to speak Bengali really well actually but he used to say I felt like a parrot when I'd go to weddings and parties because everyone would say gather around him and he'd have to repeat words you know and and he was getting all this acceptance not for being who he was but for becoming a version of what they wanted him to be yes yeah 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 not that many people talk about this but it's so obvious that this is what happens yeah yeah and I mean I know it consciously now but unconscious at the time I so badly wanted that as well because I just wanted to keep my parents happy and who doesn't want validation from their parents especially because love for us South Asians feels so conditional even if it's not (laughs) it feels very conditional if you get these grades we will love you more if you you know marry this person you will be fully accepted Mm. you will really be the good girl you will get all of these labels it's complex right I mean relationships are complex period but add on the the cultural complexities that we have to deal with Mm. and between different cultures being brought up in one culture having a heritage of a different type and being in a very diverse multicultural society it just gets very very complicated 
Yeah. Um, did these kind of things put pressure on you uh, in terms of to breaking point, you and your husband? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but the honest truth is, is that, yes, all of these external pressures did add, put pressure on us. But really, it ultimately came down to the relationship between me and myself. It was that deep yearning and need to be approved of to get validation you know and and that comes that's rooted in your childhood right um and it was that craving to be accepted just as I am for who I am that really ultimately led to the breakdown of the marriage mm. I never felt that full acceptance I didn't accept myself you know and I didn't even understand the concept of <laughs> accepting myself I was like who cares about accepting myself? It's, you know, if, if my parents accept me, if my husband fully accepts me, you know, if society accepts me, if my aunties accept me, that is all I need, mm. then then I've got it. But ultimately, that's what it always comes down to. It's the stories that you're telling yourself, the, the, the deep neglect and abandonment of ourselves is what will ultimately lead to the breakdown of any relationship when yeah. we are not serving our own needs first because it leads to resentment right and that is you know that's the toxic stuff right yeah I mean I'm, I'm going to come back to that later on because I want, I want to talk about you know how you help people um with your mentoring and things like that so I, I will come back to those kind of mm. themes um but in terms of like you and your experiences and stuff I, I read on your website actually there's line which I've noted down a walker between worlds and can you just explain what that is and why you feel like that yeah I don't feel like that anymore but it was certainly you know what I grew up feeling and what I see many of my clients experience is um especially with my South Asian clients that they just feel so torn between cultures um and they and they feel like in order to really be themselves, to be truly authentic, that they have to, uh, you know, that they are betraying one culture or the other, or they're certainly betraying their heritage, or that they are betraying their families, you know. Um, and so this sense of belonging feels like it's missing, and you feel like you are flipping from one version of yourself to another version of yourself to another, depending on the context and the environment you're in and yeah it's just this lack of we're constantly trying to fit in but where do we belong and that's where that sort of walking between worlds mm. sense comes yeah. in does that make sense it, it does make sense because you go like you know back home to your motherland and they're like oh you're a foreigner kind of thing and then you're like well no. I've been told that I'm a foreigner in Britain and my parents have said no you're from here you know India Bangladesh Pakistan wherever um so yeah I, I totally understand that it's it's a uh, yeah I mean I think that is one of the, the big downsides of um well immigration and like you know just being immigrant somewhere that, and settling somewhere for a better life that you will have this kind of a identity thing going on right it's not it's not yeah. up. Yeah, you, you do until you become conscious of it. Once you become conscious of it, once you start to understand how generational trauma really plays into the foundations of who we are and how much 
of it in our generation we are carrying a lot of unhealed trauma from our from our parents from our parents parents from our parents 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 and to add to that and it's really important that our generation becomes more and more aware of this is the unhealed trauma of the the that our parents experienced from migrating they don't talk about this you know they talk about the sacrifice yes they talk about how hard it, it was for them. They talk about everything they gave up. They talk about the guilt of yeah. leaving behind, you know, all of this. But they don't talk about, and it's probably because a lot of them aren't even aware, of the trauma that it created within them, that they experienced, that they still carry to this day, that they have passed on to us, which manifests itself as guilt and shame in us as well. And until you become aware of that, you will feel really torn you know, you will feel that sense of not belonging here or there. Mm -hmm. um, but once you become aware of it, once you start healing that generational trauma, even if your parents don't, that's that's where the real transformation happens. That's where you feel more aligned with who you are and be able to step into you know, that real authentic version and claim your heritage and claim your adopted cultures, you know, with, with joy and ease and pride mm -hmm. rather than that guilt and shame. Yeah. Um, I want to just talk now about, you know, where, like what happened with you with your divorce and um, what, how long were you married? Married for 15 years. Okay. Oh, 15 years plus. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. By the time we got divorced, it was probably 17 years, but yeah, we, we separated at 15 years. Yeah. So we were, yeah, we were married for a while. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, I've been divorced now for five years and you have kids I have I've got three teenagers 13 wow. about to turn 16 and about to turn 18 so what impact did it have on them um it was huge it was huge it was a really messy separation and divorce um my children were very young when the marriage started to break up and um emotionally it did cause a lot of damage at the time um for my children um it created a really unsafe space for them they were confused um they yeah they really they really struggled um and that's because rena i hid my separate the breakdown of my marriage for about two years I lived mean? on my own. Yeah, I lived on my own with three young children at the time. They were very young at the time. Um, on my own for two years, I didn't tell my parents. The only people that did know were some very, very close, like two close friends and my sister and my brother knew about it at the time. Um, but apart from that, my parents didn't know a thing. I'd go to their house and I'd tell them that my husband was working, you know, doing a night shift or something, which was very plausible in his in his job. Um because I was so ashamed. I was so deeply ashamed and so scared of being completely ostracized by my parents. Yeah. And not only that, but I wasn't ready to or strong enough to deal with the emotional roller coaster that they would then go on, that, that I would then have to deal with and, you know, try and appease. Um, I so desperately needed to hold myself together for my children and for myself and get myself to a stronger place before I could tell my parents about it. So that had a massive impact on my children as well, because although I was being, you know, this great mum for them, you know, 
cooking for them, cleaning for them, being available for them, taking them everywhere, you know, emotionally, I was completely unavailable for them. I was just, you know, a shell of just a zombie walking around trying to just keep it together. So yeah, I did have a big impact on them. And it's because I, I didn't reach out for any support. I just kept it all to myself. Um, I can understand why you did that because, you know, I, I've known people who um, have heard that their daughter's getting divorced and literally will throw themselves on the floor and be wailing as if someone has died. Right. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't ready to deal with that. I could not deal with that because I would have just crumbled. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that's what would happen. I knew that was happening, you know, because it it would have been like, yeah, you're trying to kill us. You're trying to kill us. And and I think an added pressure for you, obviously, was the fact that you had wanted to do this. And they, you know, exactly. and, and exactly. I, you know, because immediately yeah. when I, I kind of, you've been telling me this, you know, and I know it, 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 you, you got divorced. It's like, okay. And then you chose a person yourself. They weren't yeah. even the, the, the right religion or the race. And now yeah. look at what has happened. And now you've got three children as well. Yeah. You know, I, yes, South yeah. Asian families, that is obviously a reason to throw yourself on the floor and cry in their eyes. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, what you've uh, described that whole pretending that you're still together like I, I know so many people in India who do that that's quite a normal for them you know people even people in our family like years later someone will come clean and be like oh you know so and so has left or whatever it's like I think they left about 10 years ago but you know it's <laughs> yeah. so it's the same you know it just sounds like a very familiar thing uh, so he he was not living there then and then you would you kept up this pretense yeah just kept up this pretense and also because I was so scared of it damaging my children even more. I didn't want them, you know, to witness any more, you know, turmoil or trauma or tension. So, yeah, I was just trying to keep everything okay for everybody else, you know, trying to just smooth over things. And I guess I was in denial myself as well because, mm-hmm. you know, South Asian or not, <clears throat> no matter how many, you know, cycles you're breaking and smashing all of that, a breakup of a marriage of a family is you know it's huge right yeah, um, yeah it no matter how amicable it is it will have an impact you know it, it it does change lives you're left with a bag of broken dreams you know you were you you thought this was going to be it this is it forever and then mm-hmm. it's not so there was all of that to also kind of get my head around and accept on top of all the the cultural stuff I feel like there's also this thing in our cultures where it's like if you if you were to say oh you know I'm thinking about ending this it's not working the immediate reaction is no 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 just keep it together keep it together you know keep it together for the children and maybe that probably would have been another thing you would have had to deal with right oh that was the only thing actually in the end right it's like okay you screwed up right you're gonna have to just you know suck that up but don't throw things up for children now as well you know yes. like you don't you, the the this the script is has been and still is very much so because I see it with a lot of my clients is you don't matter anymore you know you've you've done your bit okay now you have to think about the children your 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 feelings don't matter your needs are your children's needs and that's it um and it was there was so much guilt around that as well but actually you know the the support I then seeked out you know, when I got the right support and I started to really work on myself, I realized that actually 
I am thinking about my children here. You know, they are actually at the core of my decisions here because I don't want my children to think that this is what love looks like. I don't want my children to ever feel unsafe in their environment. I want my children to see that we make mistakes, we take responsibility for them, we choose again, Mm. and we can thrive again, you know. Um, I Yeah, I didn't want them to be scared about having a relationship when they grow up. And I knew that the only way I could do that is not by telling them the stories of what they should do, but children don't, you'll know as a mum yourself, children don't listen to what you say, no matter how many times you say them or how loud, how loud yep. you say it. They don't give a shit, to be honest, especially if they get to teenagers, <laughs> you know. They're like, what are you talking about? But children are always watching. Yeah, and children will always exactly. remember what they saw, not what they heard, mm. what they saw. And I just thought, I've got to walk, I've got to walk the talk, right? Yeah. And so that's, and that is why I remember every time my parents going, your poor children or think about the children or how, why do they, de- you know, what did they do to deserve this? Yeah, actually, they didn't do anything to deserve being in an environment that was, you know, reactive and explosive and unhealthy. They don't deserve that. You're absolutely right. So the script in my head was my children deserve a healthy, safe, predictable, loving environment where they have two parents, hopefully. That was a hope that they'd have two really happy, stable parents that could guide them. And that was my real driver for, you know, going forward with a divorce and for actually really building my life after divorce as well. It all always came back to actually, what am I going to be showing my children? What yeah. are they going to be seeing? No, 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 that's really important. That is. Um, don't you think as well, like with with families and, you know, you were saying, your family was saying to you, what about the children? What about the children? Um, the fact that they also, another thing which they... Uh, find it hard to understand is if someone didn't do anything then why are you then splitting because it, and by do something I mean has someone beat you has somebody gone off with another woman and you know I mean I don't know what happened with at the end of your marriage but I'm saying that you know I know people who it's like okay we weren't in love and I just didn't care about him in that way anymore we weren't getting on but then it's like no but he did he cheat did he beat you and what if not I don't understand do you get what I'm saying yeah 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 absolutely um my my marriage was emotionally physically mentally abusive so it was you know there were very obvious reasons for me to have left I should have left you know much much earlier on um but I do have clients who have fallen out of love with their partners um I can't talk for every case, you know, and Mm. there are lots of different views, but I will stand by this, which is that when you fall, you know, when you feel like I don't love this person anymore, or this doesn't feel right, or they're not really meeting my needs, they don't get me, you know, I don't feel seen and heard. Mm. The, The one thing I always say to my clients or prospective clients is before you make any more decisions and you have every right to make the decision, just park it for a moment is how much of the work have you done with the relationship between you and yourself first? Once you've done that and you then choose that actually, you know, some some people are not meant to be together, right? And it takes two to tango. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, and then sometimes the conclusion is that this is not the right person for me, but it's always about doing the work between you and yourself. Once you have got that relationship, in you know you've got real clarity over that relationship 
then no matter what people say, you, you know, they can be like, oh, well, he didn't beat you. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. But you can speak from a place of integrity, if that mm. makes sense. Yes. Because you can say, you know, because you, you don't have to justify it to anyone else, actually. You don't have to really say anything to anyone else. You can be like, yes, they didn't. They're a, they're a good person. They just weren't for, for me. And you can walk away from that with peace because you know who you are, who your values are, what you want. And you have given all of that to yourself anyway. How long did it take you? It hundred percent makes sense. And it and it's a really important thing to consider because we do seem to think a lot of the time, all of us do it, that someone else is supposed to do this and someone else is supposed to do that. And it's you're right, looking inward, hundred percent really, really important. Um getting over the trauma of that divorce, how long did that take you and, and how did you heal? Um, it, I hate to admit it, it took me much longer than it should have because I really struggled to accept it at the beginning. I was just in so much denial about it. And I just thought if I just focus on my children, get my head down and sacrifice and be the best mum I can, that everything's just going to work out, you know? So I did that for a long time. Um, and obviously that that didn't you know it always it always ended up in tears somewhere somewhere or another and I always felt like I was in this hamster wheel I wasn't getting off it I wasn't getting anywhere and just just started to lose any enthusiasm for life I just thought all life is is about this hustle and grind and sacrifice and just you know making it okay for the kids and I was like what about me I just became this invisible thing and just with no self-worth and self-esteem so once I'm, I actually, I literally did bump into somebody who became my healer. I didn't even realize I needed somebody to heal me. All I knew is that there was counseling and therapy. And Rena, I tried that. I tried quite a few counselors. It just didn't work for me. I was done with talking about what had happened. I just wanted to find a way to feel alive in myself now and to feel not like the just a victim all the time and counseling just kept on taking me back to that victim mode. Um, and so the real, the real healing started when I started doing um, sort of spiritual healing. I, I had a healer and a guide, you know, she called herself a coach because that was a Western term, but really she was, she was a healer. And, and that's where I started my journey. That was about four years ago that I started that journey. Um, and yeah, very quickly, my life sort of really turned around very quickly once once I started doing like the real work with myself. Um, and so I've been doing that last couple of years. And that's just an ongoing, beautiful journey now that I'm on. Um, and and I guess that's where it takes me to the work that I do today because of the transformations that I not just experience in myself, Rena, but the the ripple effect that it's had on my family, my, obviously my children, but my mom, my dad, I've never had a stronger relationship than I do today. I've never been more close and open and honest with my parents than I am today. You know, I'd, I'd love them to hear this podcast once it's out because I've, I'm not ashamed of any of it. In fact, I'm really proud of where I've got to and I'm, yeah, really proud of the, the, the impact it's had on my family, my friends. 
That's so nice. That that's such a nice place that you've come to, especially like you're saying with your um, relationship with your family and that kind of thing. How how did you like what? kind of process was that though like it, it sounds quite mystical in a way when you're like oh he's a spiritual healer and you know he's brought me to this place like what what did it actually involve if it wasn't you talking about what had happened um it's it's hard because spirituality is a hard one to put into words you know it is very much an experience mm-hmm. but um from in a nutshell, what I've learned from my journey is what I teach my clients today on, you know, on, on my coaching programs. And it's around three things. Ultimately, what I learned, what I'm learning, have learned on my spiritual journey was to learn to um, really accept who I was as I am right now. Not a, not a version of me that I'll become, not a version of me that somebody else wants me to be, but just as I am right now in this moment. It was really coming to a place of just accepting myself. Um and learning to trust myself, learning to trust that that inner voice, rather than what will people say, what will people think, you know, second guessing myself constantly, looking for validation from other people, you know, asking my friends, asking my family, ask, mm-hmm. asking anyone, but not listening to myself. So it's that really learning to trust your inner wisdom, even if you get it wrong, even if you're not sure. It's it's really learning to listen to that voice. So that really helped that trust piece of just trusting myself, even when I don't know what the future holds. Um, And then around self-esteem, you know, feeling good enough because growing up, I don't know about you, but I never felt good enough. You know, I was too, too dark skinned, not clever enough, you know, Um, not, not pretty enough. There was all these, just these stories, right. And it's, it was really learning to believe that I was good enough to start with. And then post-divorce, feeling good enough to start asking for the things that I really want now. Because, you know, society script is that, oh, you're divorced now. So you kind of like, who, who, you know, who will want me? Now I've got three kids and I'm not good enough to really, you know, go for that really big job now because I'm a single parent, right? You know, like, I'm not good enough to set up my own business. I'm not good enough to really meet the, you know, the partner of my dreams and find true love. So that it's a piece I work on a lot with my my clients. And it's a piece that I'm always working on myself is really raising that self-esteem, asking for what you really want, you know, really understanding your desires and saying them out aloud and learning how to actually receive. We're not very good whether we realize that or not actually receiving, you know, even things like compliments. We're like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 you know, not me. But actually learning to receive as well is a really important part of healing and transforming your life. And I think the final piece that really is that I learned on my spiritual journey and that I teach today as well is about taking back your power again. We're, you know, we're so conditioned to please others and we're constantly, you know, smoothing things over, don't want to rock the boat, keep the peace, you know, make sure everybody else is okay and then I'll meet my own needs. And that just causes resentment over time because we're totally abandoning ourselves. Um, And it's learning to put yourself first without that guilt and shame Mm. and really stepping into your power because when you step into your power and put yourself first, this is what I talk about, the ripple effect, the effect, the impact it has on everybody else is just incredible yeah 
100%. So, yeah, so I guess that's what my spiritual healing journey really taught me is, is about trust, is about feeling good enough to ask for what I want and receiving it and taking back my power, putting myself first so that I can serve others more, you know, with more integrity from a place of authenticity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's something that I've been thinking about recently as a mom, you know, kind of that whole thing of like, oh, you're a mom, you just, you know, the children come first, that's it, that's it, like you said before. And, you know, with things that I want to do that I'm trying to achieve, like, oh, should I be doing this? Oh, no, you know, someone has to pick up my kids from school. I can't do it because I'm working and doing this. And you, there is this whole guilt thing involved. But, um, you know, that ripple effect that you're talking about, like, I feel like um, for me to do some of the things that I want to do to go out to places that I need to go to, that I want to go to, to do the work that I want to do. Like I, I do, I've noticed that when I come back into this house, I'm much more laid back. There's more to do in a way, because I come back to like a bomb site and then I need to get straight into the kitchen and cook. But for some reason, I'm like, I'm, I'll, I'll do it and I'll be a calmer person and happier. So it's like, I'm kind of, my kids then experience that. Like it, that's why exactly. I've been, um yeah. Exactly. And you know what? It's like, so they have to get the bus home after school or, you know, or wait a bit longer to be picked up or whatever. Mm. But actually, what's your child going to remember when they grow up? You know, when they look back, are they going to remember that, oh, that time that my mom didn't pick me up from school and I had to get a bus and it was just horrible on that bus and whatever? Or are they going to remember... I would just remember those times when mum would be singing or messing about in the kitchen with us and cooking um, and, you know, we would have a laugh and then eat together. Yeah. You know, like what are what are they going to remember? That's what I always ask myself is what are they seeing and what they're going to remember? Mm. And, and that's yeah. always my driver. Um, what advice would you give to, A, women who are going through a divorce, you know, um, and, and struggling and then be women who have been through it and still carry that sense of guilt and trauma yeah yeah I mean these are two two pe- kinds of people I work with now predominantly um, mainly because people have seen the transformation that I've gone through with my own life after divorce so I get asked this a lot um, so the people that I work with who are going through a separation and a divorce at the moment or a breakup, you know, after a long-term relationship, the advice I, I give to anyone is before you um, reel off into the future about what will and won't happen and, you know, trying to hypothesize or be shooting off to, you know, get some legal advice, all of what, you know, the, the legal side of things is necessary and important depending on the context. Um, But the key thing is, especially through separation and divorce, is how to be able to ground yourself, how to be able to soothe that nervous system um, so that you can think with clarity. So that even when you're feeling the fear, you can remember what it is you actually want from this so that you have the confidence to be able to speak up and speak out about what you want. You cannot, and nobody can argue with me on this one because science will back me up on this. You cannot think clearly, speak up, ask for what you want, stand in your power if your nervous system is in survival mode. 
if you're, you know, if you're flooded with anxiety and fear. It doesn't, it, we don't even have to be talking about divorce and separation here. You, you, you and I know this, you know, when we're experiencing anxiety, when we're stressed out, when we're in survival mode, when we're panicking, you just can't think straight. Mm. And when you're going through separation and divorce, it's complicated. There's so many things to think about. This is the time for you to get yourself grounded, you know, to really soothe that nervous system, to remind your body. The work I do is very body-based. To remind the body that you're safe, in this moment, no matter what happens next, you are safe, you are held, you are okay. And that's all, you know, through doing breath work. So that will be my biggest, you know, thing is anyone listening today who is going through a really, really difficult time, especially if it is through separation and divorce, is to learn how to soothe that nervous system so that you can be grounded, so that you are not um, wrapped up in fear, in, in anxiety and guilt and, and other people's projections as well, whether that be your ex-husbands, ex-wives, family, all of that, that can really taint and cloud what you want. And so, yeah, it's about returning to your breath, learning to do that. And the other thing I would say is, you know, talk to the right people. That just might be one or two people but find people who, um, not just friends, but people who have maybe been in the situation as well, who will get it. Um, therapists, counsellors absolutely can have their part if you need some talk therapy. But also there is coaching out there. I didn't know about coaching and mentoring for people going through divorce when I was going through it. I didn't even know it existed. Many people still don't. Yeah. But talking to somebody who just has been there and gets it is really really powerful as well but if nothing else go on youtube look up some just some simple breath work exercise that you can do to return to the breath or just some meditation there are lots of free apps out there as well you can just start with a five minute meditation just to quieten dial down everything so you can get to a calmer place so that's what i'd say to people who are going through separation and divorce after divorce that's a really can be a really lonely and confusing time because there is no real blueprint on how to rebuild your life after divorce. And there is so much stigma around divorce as well that we feel like after divorce, especially if you've got family as well, that it is, you know, you're sort of defined by this label. It's hard. You know, you feel you're still stuck in that victim mode. And, you know, how do you start to reimagine and rebuild that life after divorce so you can thrive again? Again, it's, one of the most powerful things that I've noticed that I've got that, you know, my clients have got on my program is having a sisterhood, a circle of women who are in the same boat as you so that you realize you're not alone. Mm -hmm. There is so much power in healing and sharing stories. I'm not talking about being in a space where you're whinging and moaning and, you know, um, putting down your ex and all of this. I'm talking about a place where we're helping each other to rise you know, cheering each other on, mm -hmm. saying, yeah, that was shit. What's the next step? You know, yeah. how do we help each other grow? So, yeah, that, that sisterhood um, it is really powerful. And there are lots out there. You know, it's just about finding the right group for you. There are free Facebook groups that you can join as well. Um, and, again, it's, yeah, finding somebody that can help you to 
revisit your values again after divorce because you are a, a new version of yourself. You're no longer, you know, in a partnership anymore. Um, you are in a new chapter of your life. So it's important to revisit your values because you'll probably find they have changed. Some of them won't be relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. And it might be the first time that you actually go and look at your values and think, actually, what is it I want now, finally? You know, because I see divorce. When once you're divorced, it's, a, it's your golden ticket to really recreate a life for you in exactly the way you want to. Mm. And so revisiting your values is really important because especially South Asian women, a lot of our values are ones we've inherited and we didn't even realize. We just accept them. Oh yeah, that's one of my values. But actually is it? It's a really good exercise. I'd encourage any of us to do it. Start a bit of journaling and write down, you know, your values. What is it that really lights you up? What makes you smile? What, you know, motivates you? Um, And yeah, that's really helpful. What's on your list? What's one of your values? Um, It depends. Again, what I would say, you know, to anyone is when when I write my values, I think about categories. So values as a mother values you know in my career values in love and relationships as well and they all overlap of course um but I think yeah one of my values across the board whether I'm a mother as an as an individual and in my business is to really stay true to my desires um to no, I'm going to scrap that actually, because before that comes speaking with integrity. One of my real values is speaking with integrity, you know, really being able to be honest about what I'm saying and taking mm-hmm. responsibility for that. Yeah. You know, because like people will come to me and say, you know, my relationship isn't working out. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't respect me, etc. And I will say the first thing I'll say to people, and it does cause friction sometimes, is before you make a decision, how much work have you done on yourself? You know, people be like, oh, you're telling me it's my fault. I'm not telling you it's your fault, but you have to take responsibility for yourself first. You know, you have to take responsibility for your thoughts, your ideas, your actions, everything, whether they're right or wrong, whether you like them or not, they're yours. So take responsibility. So yeah, I would say that one of my biggest values is being able to speak up with integrity. And that takes daily work Mm. because it can, you know, that that old story of will I be judged and what will people think of me if I say that and speak up like this is, um, you know, can that fear can grip you. But it's, again, about grounding myself, breathing through that fear and reminding myself of what speaking up with integrity really means for me, how it allows me to show up in this world. I, I love that. And I love the fact that you are actually using your own experiences of divorce and healing and everything to just to serve others and like that's such a nice thing to do and and you know I believe that that's one of our purposes as humans is to to serve as well as do other things so I feel like you just you know you're really embodying that and that's such a nice thing to see thank you thank you yeah I really appreciate that um and you know what Rena it it is it really is my purpose especially we're supporting men and women through that process of divorce Mm. and thriving again after divorce and you know what today people say to me they'll be like oh Fahani you know 
you look so happy, you're glowing. Um, it's really lovely to see your children thriving. And the other day, I mean, literally last weekend, I went to this party with my mum. And, you know, my mum and I have had a really difficult relationship growing up. But like I said, now we're a lot closer. She sees me happy. She sees me thriving. And she introduced me to a couple of aunties. And she went, hey, this is my daughter. She helps people to be happy after divorce. That's really <laughs> nice. She's like, wow, you know, my mom is not only finally accepting that, you know, I am divorced, I mean, all of these things, but she's, you know, she's seeing that I'm happy and she's almost showing me off to other people and going, yeah. look, you know, this is my daughter. She's happy and she helps other people to be happy after divorce. And she was really proud of that, you know, even though it is still pretty taboo in my yes. culture. People yeah. are doing it, but we don't talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, and the fact that she announced it to the aunties. No, she, that and, shows she's proud of you. That's such a nice thing and, and yeah, progress, and you know. Exactly. Well, coming from that girl who hid her separation and divorce for so long because she was so scared of her parents disowning her and, and hating her and dying from the, you know, the whole experience of it to today coming to a place where she's telling people about what I do with, mm. you know, pride. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is my mission is to show others what's possible for you as well. Your story won't be the same as mine. But what I want to show you is that you can absolutely thrive, you know, through through divorce and afterwards. I wish I'd met somebody like me five, six years ago because my children wouldn't have struggled as much. My, my children have done their own healing now and are, you know, thriving as well. But they would have had an easier journey had I had the right support then. Mm. So... Um, yeah. So, Farhana, in terms of of love and kind of being ready to kind of to love again and accept somebody loving you, like, are you at that place now? And you know, how do people who are, have gone through what you went through know when they're ready for that? The simple answer to a complicated question <laughs> is: um, you have to accept yourself first. I know it sounds cheesy. But that self-love piece is so important. It's so important to have that unconditional love for yourself. Nobody will love you the way that you can love yourself. And that's been the biggest piece of work for me. Um, I was, I didn't date for years after I got divorced, two or three years after I got divorced. I just wasn't, even though I felt deeply lonely, mm. I knew I had to do the work to accept myself first. I knew I had to do the, the work to love myself first. You know, it's even down to things like the color of my skin. I know that doesn't sound relevant at all, um, you know, when you're talking about divorce, but I used to, you know, have, be really sort of, oh, I'm too dark and all of, the, you know, these old scripts about around colorism, they, they're, they're real and they're true and they do affect how you show up in the yeah, world. they do. That I really, really learned to to love the color of my skin and, you know, how I look and who I am. And I've come to a place now where I, you know, I really do. I've, I've never loved myself more than I do now. I'm really proud of who I am. And um, and I think that and, and really understanding my values, being really detailed on my values. You know, when I talk about I want someone to love me that's not my value. That's way too vague for me. I know what love looks like to me. It's very detailed. It's quite mm -hmm. specific. Um, and so, yeah, so now I know what I want to attract. Mm -hmm. And 
I'll know when I see it because I've I've got those detailed descriptions in my head. It isn't just a feeling. You know, I want somebody who not might not necessarily have shared hobbies, but has shared values as me. That's really important. So it's all of these things that the work I've done on myself and being really detailed and specific within myself and loving myself, that's when you can start to step into looking you know for the the right person and not just looking but attracting that Mm. attracting that energy you know you've got to understand your own energy first and that is that work that piece of work is all about connecting with your body it's a physical experience Mm -hmm. you know you start to feel and once you do and be able to work with your own energy then you're going to start to attract the right kind of energy as well Mm um yeah It's been so lovely speaking to you and, you know, thanks for sharing everything and being so open about your experiences. Um, If if people want a bit more information about what you do, how you, like your mom said, help people to be happy after divorce, uh, you know, how they can kind of, uh, yeah, just access you and what you do. So just share some details, please. Yeah, um, I am just in the middle of building a new website because I do... uh, I'm known as a divorce doula in my local area because that that is a, the work I'm doing is helping people to rebirth a new version of themselves after divorce. Um, most of my content, I've got a lot of free content. It's on Instagram. I'm Fahana L Hussein. You can find me there, and um, and I'm on Facebook as well. I have got a free Facebook group for women, which is called Rebirth. So look me up on Facebook as well. Come and join there. Um, I'm always posting um, inspirational questions and you can share stories there as well. Um, And I run an amazing group program as well at the moment just for women. um, But it is going to be something I will develop into having mixed groups as well. But it's all about helping you to... um, feel powerful through the process of divorce and after and we have just an amazing sisterhood in that group as well so um it's really powerful you know do you get in touch with me if you're interested in finding out more or just having a conversation with me as well about what might be possible for you in whatever situation you're in right now lovely well thank you so much it's been amazing talking to you thanks for coming on and thank you to everybody who's listening or watching on youtube Until next time, peace out, Bernie. Bye. Thank you.